Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We're both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're excited to be on the podcast. We do this to help employers uh, better understand their compliance obligations when it comes to their group health plans. Sometimes we get in the weeds on specific compliance obligations, and other times we talk about the broader picture and, and what's going on in the industry and uh, in this case, we're going to talk a little bit about drug pricing, and specifically, we're going to dig in and talk about state and federal activity that is attempting to provide oversight into the PBM. That's the pharmacy benefit manager industry or world, the PBM world. So, Suzanne, just give us a, a high-level background of what we're talking about when we when we say PBM and the PBM industry or world. Yeah, well, the you know the issue of high drug prices has been a discussion, a political discussion for some time. But the attention is starting to shift towards PBMs, um, who used to be rather obscure and used to be relatively small operations that just processed claims. But now they're becoming important parts of large, vertically integrated healthcare companies. The three largest ones being CVS, Caremark, Express Scripts, and Optum. And they control about 80% of the PBM market. And in that context, they are often referred to as the big three, uh, similar to like accounting, um, but the big three. And they have the power to determine which drugs get covered through formularies, and um, they manage distribution towards their own pharmacies. So they're represented by a trade association. And I'll bring this name up because we'll discuss it later, but the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, as all industries have a trade association. Um, But their role is really to negotiate with drug manufacturers for lower drug prices on behalf of the insurers and to facilitate payments to the pharmacies for their dispensing of the medication. The PCMA, of course, will point to how the PBMs are using their buying power to um, combat high prices that are set by the, the, you know, the bad drug manufacturers and they, the rebates and the discounts that they receive, they say ultimately translate into lower uh, drug plan prices and premiums for health plans. So our role today is really not to take a position on the industry as a whole, but really to review from a regulatory or oversight perspective what's happening in the industry. And because it really does ultimately impact all of us, whether it's in our own personal lives when we're purchasing medicines or in our through our group health plans. So Um, We'll talk about what's happening at the state level, which is definitely more active than at the federal level, but we'll also touch on what's happening in Washington. Right. Great. Thanks for that overview. Super helpful. Um, We're going to get into the state legislation and the federal legislation. Before we do that, there was a relatively recent uh, Supreme Court case on this. Can you address that really quickly and how that might play in here? Yeah, without getting into too many details, um, due to the interest in time, there was a ruling back in 2020 in Rutledge v. the PCMA, and it held that Arkansas's PBM regulation that had been enacted was not preempted by ERISA, and so it gave the states the right to regulate PBMs within the state. And that was a big that was a big deal. So we saw a slew of other lawsuits over state policy, and then a lot of activity in the states from a regulatory perspective and legislative perspective. 
we're not going to focus on the litigation. We're going to focus on the legislation. So um, let me start by providing a resource in case you're interested in tracking legislation. The National Academy for State Health Policy is a nonpartisan organization that tracks healthcare developments at the state level. And so it's a very good one uh, to get on the web, their website if you want to track these things. But if we look at 2022, for example, um, again, a lot of this was spurred on following that uh, Supreme Court case. There were 135 bills concerning PBMs that were introduced into state legislatures. 12 states, which I think was a total of about 19 pieces of legislation, um, were enacted in 2022, and they offered a variety of restrictions and requirements for PBMs. But those 12 states are Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Michigan, Nebraska, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. Um, and so what happened to the remaining bills um, that were introduced? Some are still working their ways through various committees, um, and some failed to make any headway at all. So, but I do anticipate that we're going to see still a lot more activity in 2023. Yeah, so 12 states that are already there and lots perhaps to follow Coming up. So give us some insight into how the legislation is really providing oversight of PBMs. What are the mechanisms they're using? What, how are they doing this or, or attempting to do this? So, so now that this, the Supreme Court has said the states can govern PBMs, a lot of the new legislation surrounds licensing. Um, so they want to they be able to um, have more information and insight into what these PBMs are doing. They have certain reporting requirements. And then they look at actual industry industry practices. So there's some prohibitions on things like spread pricing, and there's rules that are aimed to make costs more transparent to the enrollees. So if we look at like one, one state, Michigan, for example, had several new laws that were signed um, by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and one of them required licensing of the PBMs. And again, it prohibited spread pricing, like we've mentioned, and it prohibited pharmacy gag clauses, which we'll go into in a little bit. But um, another one prohibited the PBMs from requiring a patient to pay a copay that was higher than the selling cost of the drug dispensed and from discriminating against 340B program entities. Um, a third law looked at pharmacist rights. So it was really kind of going the whole gamut uh, in Michigan. Wow. Yeah. So before we go further, explain what is a 340B program? We we like to throw out numbers. We like to throw out acronyms. And so just tell us what, what is 340B? Yeah, this may not be on, it, you know, in the site of our, uh, of group health plans, but it, it comes from, the name of that comes from the citation itself. It's section 340B of the Public Health Service Act. And it is a provision that requires the pharmaceutical manufacturers, the drug manufacturers that, that participate in Medicaid, to sell their outpatient drugs at discounted prices to the 340B healthcare organizations. And these are organizations that care for uninsured and low-income patients. And so it's like community health centers and children's hospitals, um, critical access hospitals, um, rural referral centers, and the disproportionate share hospitals. So through this program, these 340B hospitals are able to reduce their price of outpatient pharmaceuticals. And then through these savings, they can provide more care for the uninsured patients. It's, it's an important program. There's some controversy right now around Medicare payments being cut to these hospitals. Um, and there's some other political issues that we're not going to focus on today, but we just, you know, you might hear 340B. So we wanted to bring it up so you could hear about this program. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. 
Very helpful. And then um, what about gag clauses? What, what does that term gag clause mean? And uh, how does how does a gag clause apply here? Well, gag clause gag clauses are definitely a focus of states because they want to prohibit it, hit them. They are clauses that are written into a pharmacy contract with a PBM. So a, a contract that's between um, that a PBM will enter into with a pharmacy and it prohibits the pharmacist from telling a patient when they paying by cash would be less expensive than using their insurance plan. It seems crazy that they would prohibit that. But when they force the pharmacist to remain silent about this alternative pricing um, through these clauses, they are clawing back much of the monetary difference between what the insurance copay and the lower cash price of the med medication. So by concealing that least expensive way to purchase a medication, critics are saying that the gag clauses uh, reduce transparency and medication affordability for patients. It, it, it is just, uh, you know, in your gut, it kind of tells you it's just not the right way to be. But critics also note that, you know, one of the purported goals of PBMs, and this is one of the things they say, you know, their um, lobbying group says, is that they are negotiating favorable drug prices. So um, the same companies that may negotiate a price for a medicine that is higher than what a consumer would pay out of pocket seems counterintuitive. So, it, you know, I think in, at the heart of it, it's really important to understand that the pharmacies are really dependent on these big three PBMs for as much as like 25 to 40% of the revenue. So these gag clauses are a way of putting pressure on the pharmacies to, to, to play ball. Right. Okay, so that's helpful to understand those terms and, um, and, and better understand some of the players here. But let's get back to the states. Tell us more specifics about some of the state activity that you mentioned in those 12 states that you mentioned earlier. Well, Illinois, Illinois is one of the states that looked at those gag closets and wanted to prohibit PBMs from limiting a pharmacist from sharing with the patients, you know, the availability, excuse me, the availability of a more affordable alternative drug. Um, and also, so it's not only affordable price for a drug, but also a more affordable alternative drug. Um, and then other bills that were introduced in Illinois would require a PBM to disclose any value provided by a pharmaceutical manufacturer to the PBM, as well as the actual amounts paid by the PBM to a pharmacy and require the PBMs to publish MAC pricing information weekly. Um, so let's take a minute on MAC pricing, which is the maximum allowable cost. So this is a payment method that the PBMs use to control costs. And it's it's really a model that is contractually agreed to by the various players, but it ensures that those that are purchasing health insurance benefits do not overpay for generic drugs. Typically, it's really a focus on generic drugs. Um, but MAC prices are driven by factors in the marketplace, like how long has the drug been a generic and how many manufacturers are making the generic version um, and how widely available is the generic drug and how accessible is it? Have there been problems in the manufacturing of the generic and and the drugs that have been generics longer are more likely to obviously have greater competition and therefore lower pharmacy purchasing prices. So the MAC pricing is a tool that the PBMs use to define the upper limit that the, the maximum allowable cost that the plan will pay a pharmacy for a branded drug or more often for a generic. Um, and again, I like to say, I like to give a bit of background when we're talking about generics. And it's really interesting to know that um, not all generics are the same. 
Some are fully identical to their brand name counterpart uh, with the same active ingredients and inactive ingredients. And in fact, um, these generics are typically marketed by the manufacturer of the branded drug or an authorized agent of that manufacturer. And so they're called authorized generics and they are already covered under the branded drugs application with the FDA approval. So they don't require additional FDA approval. Um, they have a six-month exclusivity period during which no other generic can be marketed. And then after that, um, you will often see um, other, other generics that will come in. So not all generics are authorized, and nor do they have to be. So that while the active ingredients has to be consistent, they can have different inactive uh, ingredients. So you could have like their coatings or their stabilizers, binders, fillers, flavorings, all of that could be different as long as they meet the FDA bioequivalence standards. And But because there is a different formulation, these types of generics um, really require additional FDA approval. It's called an abbreviated new drug application, and they're called non-authorized generics, but they can be marketed by multiple different you know, drug companies after that six-month exclusivity is concludes. Um, you will tend to see more multi-source generics on the market. Okay, so before you tie this back to the MAC pricing, this what you're talking about are some of the generic drugs that we might see if we go to our grocery store or a pharmacy where we have, let's just use the example of an Advil, and then you have the Walgreens or the CVS or the um, Albertsons, whatever the whatever the uh, store name is version of that. And it, it may look different, it may taste different, um, but that's what we're talking about here for, for the common folk, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so how does, so the back to the Mac pricing, and it's really, you you really see this more with generics um, than with branded name drugs. But again, it's designed to ensure that the payers get the low, lowest possible price on a drug. But each PBM will use a different criteria for determining which products um, go on their Mac list and how they derive their Mac pricing. And so that means that no two Mac lists are the same. So hence is where, this is where transparency is important and where we start to see um, some input from states on this. The states are requiring transparency around how the drugs are put on a MAC list, how the pricing is determined, and how the lists are made available to providers, and how often these lists are updated. Um, and there is an appeal process often for pharmacies. So the good news for plan sponsors is that it provides visibility into whether they're paying the lowest price for a drug. Um, but the full benefit of that visibility can really only be realized if the MAC lists are monitored, if they're updated frequently, um, if they adhere to the regulations, and really if the plan sponsors understand the pricing dynamics. So um, let's look now, for example, in, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts has several PBM-related bills that have been referred to the state committees one would establish a committee to just study the maximum allowable cost. Another bill would require PBMs to make available all sources that are used to determine the maximum allowable cost for drugs. And then a third would require the PBMs to submit transparency reports that detail rebates and administrative fees um, for the pharmacies. And so, again, the plans will need to work with a sophisticated PB TBA in this area to weed through all the MAC information and, and other pricing dynamics. Right. Okay. So you've given us a pretty good flavor of what's happening at the state level, including some examples here with Illinois and, and Massachusetts. And this will always be a challenge for employers is, is this 
how quickly things change at the state level. And um, it's always hard to track, uh, but it's definitely um, helping us to understand a few examples here. But let's let's take as as a, a, a broader view here and switch to the federal level. Um, first, I've heard, and many may have heard of, of the FTC um, investigating the PBM industry. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, this this started back in July of last year of 2022. The FTC launched an investigation into the six largest PBMs that, and they wanted to look into their possible anti-competitive behavior. So this included the three PBMs I already mentioned, plus Humana, Prime Therapeutics, and MedImpact Healthcare System. Um, and the FTC uh, required them to submit certain data regarding their business practices. They were looking at fees. They were looking at clawbacks charged to unaffiliated pharmacies. They wanted to look at methods to steer patients toward the, the PBM-owned pharmacies. Um, they looked into complicated methods to determine the pharmacy reimbursement and, and other items. What's challenging is they haven't yet announced when they plan to complete their inquiry into the business practice and publish a final report to Congress. So this, this perturbed um, Senators Grassley and Cantwell. And so they issued a letter to the FTC back in October, along with five other senators that requested that the FTC commit to both completing their investigation and producing a final report no later than June 7th of this year. So more to see on this. We'll certainly be watching for um, you know that report and and find out what they what they have found. Yeah, very interesting. Always interesting to see how uh, Washington works, right? And a letter from a couple senators with some direction there is uh, definitely interesting. So, what about the new federal legislation that might be out there? Well, new, new, and and well, not so new. It's reintroduced. the The same senators, Grassley and Cantwell, reintroduced two pieces of legislation. One being the Pharmacy Benefit Manager Transparency Act. I'll just call it the Transparency Act. And then the Prescription Pricing for the People Act. So focusing first on the Transparency Act, um, I will say it has bipartisan support. It would ban deceptive pricing and prohibit arbitrary clawbacks of payments made to the pharmacy. So a note on the clawbacks. I know we, we keep talking about all these different terms, but I think it's helpful to really describe what we're talking about. Um, on some prescription claims, the total cost of the drug is less than the patient's copayment. So the PBM often will keep the difference, and this is known as a clawback. So the way so the way it really works, so a pharmacy will collect a patient's copayments and then pass that copayment on to the PBM. And then the PBM turns around and reimburses the pharmacy, whatever their negotiated rate is for that drug, plus the dispensing fee and then any, any markup. And then they'll retain the overpayment. And so again, the overpayment occurs when the copayment amount is exceeds or is higher than the reimbursement negotiated between the PBM and the pharmacy. When they talk about arbitrary clawbacks, there's concern that there's an issue of market competition. So you see some pharmacists are complaining that the clawbacks are arbitrary in that they're not applied fairly. So if you're not affiliated with a PBM, your clawbacks and your fees are greater than if you are affiliated with a PBM. And by the PBMs having... Um, you know, these varying prices and, and clawbacks amount, they're really driving the unaffiliated pharmacies out of business. And so the bill is promoting competition in the market, and it requires the PBMs to report how much they claw back from pharmacies, including any differences in reimbursement rates or clawbacks between affiliated versus non-affiliated. 
and um, the information hopefully will limit the ability of PBMs that are vertically integrated with pharmacies to, you know, inhibit competition, which right now they're giving more favorable terms to their affiliated pharmacies. The bill would also eliminate spread pricing. And we we mentioned this at the state level. The states are also focused on spread pricing. And that is when a PBM charges a plan more to process a prescription than it reimburses the pharmacy. So in other words, the PBM will reimburse the pharmacy one price, but it charges the plan sponsor a higher price and it pockets the difference or the spread. And because neither the plan nor the pharmacy knows what the other is paid, um, or charge, this practice kind of hides the PBM's margins. Of course, PBMs have to make a margin, so that in and of itself is not unfair. But I think what the um, you know the charges overall is that there needs to be more transparency into where all of the margins are occurring. And the bill, again, states that if the PBMs choose to continue engaging in clawbacks and spread pricing, then they have to pass all the manufacturer rebates onto their health plan clients. And so this would eliminate another source of PBM profits. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out and and how it impacts the PBM market, because obviously it's it's really getting to not only transparency, but trying to cut down on drug pricing, which really means cutting down on PBM profits. Lastly, that prescription pricing for the People Act is really in line with their letter, the senator's letter, and it would require the FTC to examine the effects of the consolidation in the PBM industry on pricing. And the senators want to know whether the PBMs are steering patients toward those pharmacies that they own. If they're using formularies that are designed to favor drugs with rebates over lower cost drugs, um, whether they charge certain pot payers a higher price. And so, again, this is getting to the idea of transparency. And it instructs the FTC to provide policy recommendations to Congress so that it can improve competition in this marketplace and protect customers. Yeah, so that's really what we're seeing a pretty strong trend now in the last two or three years and probably some ground swelling before that, but just this idea of transparency overall. We have the CAA or the Consolidated Appropriations Acts of the last two years that have really addressed this uh, in different ways, but specifically, you know, No Surprises Act trying to help eliminate some of those big bills that individuals might get after a procedure or after an event. And then we have transparency and coverage, which is really aimed at lots of different parties and trying to get information out there on pricing and, and all of that. So we know that a lot of our clients and a lot of employers out there are struggling to under, understand all the different transparency rules. What is the CAA? What is this RxDC, which relates to prescription data collection, but prescription drug pricing and plans have to report on that. All of that is creating a lot of confusion. What do I need to do as an employer? And so we do have some resources out there at NFP. We have a couple of publications. We have done a couple of webinars on this and we're tracking it in Compliance Corner, which is our biweekly newsletter where we cover all the developments at federal and state levels. And, and we're tracking this one closely. Some of the obligations under those rules fall on providers. Some, as we're seeing here, you know, relate to the PBMs. Some are drug manufacturers. Um, and some are on the plans themselves, and that's where the confusion comes up uh, specifically for employers. But all of this relates to the employers and the cost, right? If we're talking about costs of group health plans, that's obviously driven by costs of, of drugs, and that's what really what we're talking about today. So anything else, Suzanne, that you wanted to sort of address here in the PBM world? No, I think it's just that we'll be really watching the state activity and, and be watching for the FTC um, investigative report and certainly any 
anything at the federal level, there is, you know, there's in this lame duck session, there's not much that's going to be happening in Washington, but PBM is one of those issues that has bipartisan support that we may see some movement on. So we'll be watching for any changes at the state or federal level and certainly report it back out. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Suzanne, for walking through all of this. We really appreciate it. Great information. And we'll continue to monitor this. Uh, for this edition, though, we're at the end. And as we like to say, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us all. Thank you. Bye-bye.